Let's turn together now to read the Word of God in two sections in the New Testament. First of all, at Paul's letter to Romans and chapter 12 and at verse number 9. Romans 12 at verse 9. Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honour. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honourable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And secondly, we turn to First Peter in chapter 3, and reading at verse number 8. First Peter 3 and at verse number 8. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Amen. It's the word of God, and we trust that he will bless to us these readings from it. We're now going to sing to God's praise in Psalm number 11 and sing Psalms under page 13. Psalm 11 on page 13 and singing at verse number 3. If the foundations are destroyed and all around there is decay, whatever can the righteous do? Surrounded by such disarray. From verse 3 to verse 7 to God's praise. Whatever can 
now to the New Testament and to our second reading in 1 Peter chapter 3 and we can read at verse number 8. 1 Peter 3 and at verse number 8. Finally all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart and a humble mind and so on down to the end of verse number 8. I'm sure that for ourselves we feel quite often the way in which the readers and the hearers of Peter's letter felt in the world. They felt they didn't belong in the world. They felt they were exiled not only from God but exiled by the world itself. They felt a people who were under pressure in so many different ways. And because of that, they felt uh, like those who 
uh, were ready to lose their faith and to abandon the gospel. And I suppose in every generation it is true that if we believe in God, that we sense that kind of pressure and sense that kind of isolation. And so often we can be ready to leave our faith because we think it's not worth the cost. And Peter is understanding of all of that and in writing this letter he wants to encourage them by bringing before them who they are as the people of God and having done that then to draw their attention to the way in which they should live in the world as the people of God. And so from the verse 13 in chapter 1 of this letter he has been showing how they should live in their devotion to God and then showing how they should live in submission to the authorities around them and submission in their own families and in all of their relationships. In other words, he wants them to live in a way which is different to the culture in which they find themselves. And unless we can do that, As the people of God, the church of Jesus will vanish away. It depends on you and me being the people of God that we should be, different to the culture in which we live, and therefore speaking into that very culture. And when we come to this section, chapter 8, there is a finally. He is summarizing all that he has said before, and he's doing so in these verses. And we want to look at what he says in the summary conclusion, and to think about ourselves as the people of God, and to think of responsibilities and rewards in community life. I want to think, first of all, of responsibilities. Responsibilities are crucial in every area of life. We need to know what they are, we need to take up our responsibilities, and we need to ensure that we're not passing our responsibilities to others. And when Peter draws attention to their responsibilities here, he does so in a marvellous way, because of the way in which he has structured what he wants them to do, we can think of, of of something in two layers and something at the core. And on the outside layer, we have two elements. On the second layer, we have two elements. And then at the core, we have the very thing that empowers everything else that they're going to do. And when you think of the first layer, of the way in which he has so marvelously structured their responsibilities, there are two things. There is, first of all, harmony, unity of mind. And then there is, lastly, a humble mind. So we have harmony and we have humility. And when we think of these two concepts, in many ways, they are concepts that are alien to the culture and the world in which we live. Humility. Who asks you to be humble in any any area of life? You have to be assertive. You have to be yourself. You have to stand up for your rights. 
It's the opposite of the culture that we see in the Word of God that we must embrace. Certainly in in our culture there is a huge emphasis on harmony in the sense that, that we have to embrace the doctrine of whichever organization we belong to. And if we do so, then we'll be successful in that organization. And in the Christian community, in the church of Jesus, the exact same thing is true. The unity of mind is something that we have around the word of God. Not only do we share in it as our common heritage, but we believe it. We believe it in its entirety. We believe in it in its teaching. In its teaching about God. In its teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ. In its teaching about sin. In its teaching about salvation. We believe all that it says in every aspect of the message of the gospel. And when we do that, it produces a cohesion that sustains us as the people of God around the Word of God. And the more we understand the Word of God, the more we enter into the teaching of the Word of God, the more we not only embrace that teaching for ourselves, but the more we are integrated into the life of the Christian community and in the life of the Church of Jesus in the world. And so today in this first layer of our responsibility, at the very beginning of that comes the importance of the Word of God, our understanding of the Word of God, and following that Word with our minds and with our hearts, and doing so as those who are committed to it. And together today we are here as a reflection of that. And the Word of God requires us to build on what's already there. To not only establish that cohesion that comes from our harmony around the Word of God, but to build on it in such a way that there is the visible building up of the Christian community and of the Church of Jesus in our community and around us in the world. And as surely as we embrace the teaching of the Word of God, it will carry with it the humility that corresponds. Because my understanding of humility and my feeling of being humble arises out of circumstances. And I need to take myself away from the circumstances that wants me to assert myself and make myself the center of everything and place my whole way of thinking and living into the context of the word of God, into the circumstances that it brings before me with regard to my sinnership, with regard to my salvation, with with regard to the unmerited grace of God, and there to find myself in the very dust, humble, of heart and of mind, a responsibility to be humble. Pride has no place 
in the life of the Christian community. Not only does pride have no place, but pride is one of the most destructive things in the Christian community, in God's church. A responsibility to have harmony around the word of God, to be humble in our hearts, in our devotion to God and to his word. And in the second layer, we move from that sense of commitment to the word of God and our personal response to it to a responsibility to others. You are here today for yourself. You are here today for God. You are here today to learn how you can be there for everyone else. So that life is not about asserting yourself but life is about giving yourself to others. And having peeled away the first layer, we see that we have the two elements of responsibility. We have sympathy and we have compassion. All of you have sympathy and all of you have a tender heart. Sympathies such a wonderful thing. And people who are in pain, who are suffering, they appreciate sympathy. It's experiencing something for them who are suffering, something from without which has affected their whole way of life and living. Their experience is one that has been turned to be something that is completely negative because of what they have suffered. And Peter wants to remind them that they have the responsibility to come alongside those who need support in that kind of suffering way and to come alongside them as those who are able not only to rejoice with those who rejoice, but to mourn with those who mourn. And when Paul speaks about when one Christian suffers, all of the other Christians suffer together. When one member suffers, they all suffer together. It reminds us of the importance of this aspect of a responsibility. That when you suffer, you personally, all of us are in that with you. All of us are in there to, to support you through that. Jesus himself is the great example. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. We, are so, we show so much of, of the life and the spirit of Jesus when we come alongside those who are in need, when we show that we are suffering with them, when we want to strengthen them and encourage them. And that sympathy is accompanied with compassion. A heart that overflows with love to the person that is suffering. As a mother's heart flows out in love to the child of her womb. We are called upon to be so engaged in that heartfelt way 
pouring of the love of our hearts, of the goodness of our hearts into the lives of those who are suffering. A responsibility. No one should ever say that they don't care about me. No one should ever say nobody's concerned. We have a joint responsibility as the people of God in a Christian community to ensure that everybody feels that when their need is great, that they see God coming alongside them through you and through me. The responsibility, the sympathy and the compassion. And having pulled away the two outer layers, we come to the core of everything that's happening. We come to, to the heartbeat of, uh, that pulses through everything that takes place in the life of the child of God. All of you have brotherly love. The culture and to which Peter was writing was a culture which understood well that whatever you did, you cared for your family. There might be no thought of God, but you loved your family. You loved your father and mother. You loved your brothers and your sisters. There was a deep sense of Philadelphia, of love for brothers and sisters in the family. And Peter is is taking that cultural thing and he is taking it back to where it belongs. It's good to have it there, of course, to remain there, but he takes their thinking back to the roots of where that comes from and that is that they love each other because they are the children of God. He has told them in in verse 1 that they are born again to a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. John speaks so clearly in his first epistles, in the first epistle, the way in which we are born of God, the way in which that if we love the Father, our Father in heaven who has given birth to us, then we love all those other ones who are also his children. And he is bringing them back not only to a sense of, of their love for each other and the responsibility to each other, but he's bringing them back to the source of everything. That their brotherly love is the visible expression of the fatherly love of God in their hearts. That in the day of their new birth, they came to know the Lord Jesus. They came to have the love of God poured into their hearts by the Spirit of God. And they are going to fulfill their responsibility in this community. They are going to do so with that throbbing heart of the love of God. It's hard work trying to show compassion. It's hard work trying to have sympathy unless you have love in your heart. Words can be so empty and so vain. 
But as the people of God, we, we have the, the love of God in our hearts. It's that love that makes us who we are. And we go on through life and all of its struggles and its challenges. Even at times when, when we might feel that we have failed to show that love, we, we struggle on because we want to show it more and more because we understand who we are. And so today, our responsibility in the community is to discover and to rediscover our love for our Saviour. And from then to have that loving relationship with each other and to have that harmonious cohesion around the Word of God that helps us to keep our shape as the people of God day by day, Lord's day by Lord's day, and weekday by weekday. The responsibility. Secondly, the reward. Do not, he says in verse 9, repay evil for, e- for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless, for to this you are called, that you may obtain a blessing. There is reward, the idea of reward, list through uh, this very exhortation that Peter has. Don't you reward evil for evil or reviling for re- reviling. You are going to be so different. As much as we are in a culture of blaming and of seeking to find fault and to condemn, so they were living in that kind of culture. And, and so as the people of God, they suffered the insults and the revilings of, of those who were around them. But they are not to reward, to repay others with the same thing. Instead, on the contrary, they are to bless. And of course, there is a way in which you and I can never bless. Blessing belongs to God. The Lord bless you and keep you. It's the, the empowering of the, of the word of God and the way in which God enables us to do what he wants us to do. God blesses us. But here, we are asked to bless those who speak evil and those who revile. In other words, we are to seek God's favour for them. We can't say that we are to pray for those who are not of faith. We can't say that we are to speak the gospel to them. We can't say that we are to present the gospel to them in such a way, extending to them the person and work of Jesus Christ in the gospel, inviting them, leading them to the place where they may repent of their sin and believe in the Lord Jesus for themselves. We are to bless. God said to Abraham, I will bless you and make you a blessing. In other words, he was going to be of good in the service of God to his own home and family and to the world in which he lived. And today you and I are to bless those around us. And we want to ensure that, that whoever they may be, that they know always 
that it's the good that we seek, that is blessing for them that we want, that in our faithfulness to, to the message and the passion of Jesus, we want them to know more, to understand better. We want them to come to faith. Bless. And it's the natural sinful response of our sinful hearts to get revenge. When things are said wrong, when things are done wrong, to get revenge. But God says, that's not how you should behave. God says, you should bless. Bless those who revile you and to speak evil against you. And that because God has a reward for you. That you may obtain a blessing. That you may receive as your inheritance the blessing of God. Blessing that speaks literally and simply of of speaking well of someone. Here is the, the reward uh, given to those who, who speak the gospel well to those who are around them, the reward is that God will speak well of them and God will see their good works and God will reward them with the inheritance of the people of God that he has spoken of in the first the chapter where he speaks in, in verse 4 that we are born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading kept in heaven for you. The reward of final inheritance. Going so close as nearly to say that unless you fulfill your responsibilities, unless you bless those who are your enemies, you will not obtain, you will not receive the inheritance of the blessing of eternal life. And we know, of course, that our enjoyment of eternal life is not dependent on our own works. But the genuineness of our faith and of our love for the Lord Jesus is confirmed, is is evidenced by how we live that out in the world. And as we serve the Lord Jesus in speaking well of the gospel to others, So God looks down and speaks well about us. And he will do so finally also. And there is that sense of of empowering in that itself. That in all of uh, fulfilling our responsibilities, there is that sense of finding satisfaction in the God who is our Father and the Jesus who saves us and to the Spirit of God that dwells in us our hearts. There is our responsibilities. There is that reward that God gives to us. And finally, in closing, there is revelation. Peter wants to take the word of God and takes what seems to be his favorite psalm, Psalm number 34, and he quotes from it from verse 10 down to Verse 12, he wants to confirm what he has said by taking the example of David in Psalm number 34 and from that example driving home all that he has said 
about responsibilities and rewards. And in conclusion, we want to see the way in which he brings this revelation to bring them and us face to face with, with this image of the face and of the eyes of God. The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Noah found grace in the eyes of God. The wonder that that he saw through the eyes of God in, in this pictorial way into the very heart of God. And when God looked down on Noah, he saw nothing but grace and he saw nothing but love. And Abraham was the same, and, and Moses was the same. They saw, they found favor in the sight of God. The eyes of God speak of his grace to his people. And Abraham walked before the Lord, and he was blameless. He walked before the face of God, and God's face was, was shining upon him. The eyes of and the face of God on the righteous. He cares for his people, looking down upon them with his favor. As a father or mother would have their eyes constantly upon their children, keeping them from danger, eyes that are full of love for them, facing them in such a way as to ensure they know where they are, uh, to know what their needs are, to know what the dangers are, to know when to rescue them from their needs. The eyes and the face of God are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer. He is constantly there to save, to rescue, and to deliver. And when we read that, Psalm number 34, that's what God does. He delivers his people in their troubles. At last he delivers them out of their troubles and takes them into his own glorious, peaceful paradise. And he ensures that not one of them is lost. And today that's the great reward that we have in the, the word of God, that, that God looks down and cares for his children, that we see his face in the person of Jesus and when we see that, there is no sight like it. There is no such beauty and there is no such sense of well-being and of compassion and of sympathy that overflows then from ourselves into those who are around us. But at the same time, there is that sense of the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. We should not fear our enemies because God is against them. The face and the eyes that are full of grace and compassion to the people of God. The image changes to, to a face that, that breathes out through, through its nostrils the, the fire of, of eternal wrath and of condemnation. The face that in Revelation 6, those who are the enemies of God turn away from and want the hills to fall upon them to hide them from the face of the one who is on the throne. Such a 
contrasting experience. And today we should not fear them who are the enemies of the cross of Jesus because God is against them. But we should fear for ourselves that if we are not the children of God, if we have not embraced the teaching of the Word of God with regard to the Son of God and Him being the Saviour of the world, then the image changes. The face of friendship is is changed into the, the face that is against us. And today we want together to ensure we fulfill our responsibilities, to ensure we understand the rewards, and to remember today and always that God has two faces in the Bible. One of them is one of friendship and the other one is one of fearsome wrath. And we know that only in Jesus that God is our friend and we can have peace with God in this our world and look forward to the peace that is everlasting in the paradise that there is to come. May God bless his word to us. Let us pray. Gracious God, we are thankful to you for your word and for the way in which it reminds us that our salvation, as much as it is to be enjoyed by ourselves in our relationship with you, it also has meaning and has an impact on the world in which we live and those who are around us. And help us, O Lord God, to live in our devotion to you. Help us to live in our devotion to one another. Help us to do so with reverence and with godly fear in our hearts. And help us always to seek, to bless, and uh, to speak the truth in love. And help us, O Lord, to know your eye upon us, uh, and to have that sense of uh, your delight being in us as we journey along life's way together. Keep us safe, we ask. Bless your word to us, we pray, and have mercy. For we ask these things for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, the psalm is Psalm 34, a psalm that was quoted by Peter with his singing and sing psalms from verse 11 to verse 16. It's on page number 40. Psalm 34, sing psalms, verse 11 on page 40. Come here, my children, gather round and listen to my word. I will help you understand how you may fear the Lord. Down to verse 16 to God's praise. Come here, my children, gather round and listen to my word. Your lips from lying 